You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, we're going to keep walking through our newest uh, series, The Words of Jesus. Uh, last week, we talked through Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And we talked about uh, Jesus giving us a plan of attack. I shouldn't say attack. Maybe that's another right way. Uh, a plan for dealing with the problem of somebody sinning directly against us. So when somebody sins directly against us, how do we deal with that? And I want to recap that really quick. Jesus says, basically, you go to them as the person who's been offended, and you confront them with what they've done wrong to you. And if at any point in this system he lays out for us, that person repents and confesses their sin, we're good with them. Everything's good, right? But let's say they don't repent. Well, then you go and get one to two witnesses and bring them back and you confront them again. And then if they don't repent, you go before the church because now you have this unrepentant sinner, right? This unrepentant Christian or supposedly, right, in the, in the church. And if they then go before the church and the church uh, decides that they have actually sinned against you, right, and they still don't repent, then you're to treat that person as a, pa- a pagan or a tax collector. And what we landed on is, yeah, that probably does change the relationship between you and that person because now you realize, hey, maybe that person doesn't really believe this whole thing, but I should also treat them as a person that needs to know Jesus. Therefore, I should pray for them and I should try to bring them to know Christ, right? If they don't already. And so that's what Jesus talked about last week. And the reason I recap this is because what we're talking about today flows directly out of Jesus teaching that message. And we get to Matthew 18, 21. I just want to read that one line. Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Why seven times? Have you ever wondered that? Why does he, he land on the, on the number seven? Well, here's the real answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he picked that number, okay? And, and I will say that nobody else knows, too, because everybody's arguing about why it's seven. And there's a lot of rabbit holes we could go down, but I don't necessarily know that it's that important why he picked seven. So I'm going to give you my two cents on why I think he picked seven. If you'd like to hear the other options, we can talk about it out in the lobby, but we'll, get, we'll just we'll keep it brief here. Here's why I think he picked seven. Because Jews really like the number seven. They use it all the time. Think about it. God creates the, world, the, the heavens and the earth in six days and he rests on the seventh day. So it's the seven days of creation. Enoch is seven generations from Adam. Moses is seven generations from Abraham. David is the seventh son of his father. Right? Like it's this common thing. Because seven is a number of fullness, of wholeness, and of completion. And the Jews know that. And so I think maybe what Peter's doing is he's coming to Jesus and going, hey, seven is a full number. It's a complete number. I think that's a totally fair thing to say. If I've forgiven them seven times, I've done all I can do, right? And Jesus then turns around and he says, 
this. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Wait a minute. Hold on. Two things here. First of all, in the actual text, in the Greek, Jesus does not say, no, not 70 times. Jesus says, I didn't say that. You said that. That's the first thing that I think is funny there. But the second thing is, if any of you are following along with me in this passage, you may be looking at your Bible and go, hey, my Bible doesn't say 70 times 7. My Bible says 77. Uh-oh. Has anybody heard that before? 77 times? Forgive them, 77 times? Nobody? Because there's a good chunk of translations out there that say that. And guess what? There's a good chunk of translations out there that say that too. So which one is it, Zach? Our Western minds are inquiring the truth. We need to know. Which one is it? Which one? Aren't you going to break this down for us and tell us why it's one or the other? No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you why I think it's both. Because I think Jesus being God in his unlimited knowledge, in his unlimited wisdom, knew that one day his words were going to be translated from Aramaic into Greek and then that we would get a translation in Greek so we'd never really know how the numbers translate because from Aramaic to Greek is kind of weird. And so people are going to fight over this. And so Jesus tells, how about it's just both? And I think I can back that up biblically. And so I'm going to try. Let's assume it's 77. Let's go with the oddball first, okay? I think in order to understand why Jesus would say that, that you should forgive your brother, not seven times, but 77 times, that language sounds familiar. But we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to know what is said there. We've actually got to go back to the book of Genesis. Don't pull it up just yet. But we've got to talk about a guy named Lamech or Lamech, however you want to say it. I don't know. Point being, we got to talk about this guy because it gets a little confusing. There are two Lamechs in the Old Testament. And it's really odd because they're right beside each other. See, after Cain kills Abel, he gets exiled from the garden, right? And he gets sent off and he forms his own people group, but he's scared when he leaves. And he's afraid God's going to like allow somebody to kill him, right? And God says, no, Cain, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to mark you that any man that kills you, I will avenge you seven times. Okay? So he sends Cain off. Now, we have two bloodlines at that point. We have the bloodline of Seth in our Old Testament in Genesis, and we have the bloodline of Cain, and we get two different groups of people. Well, here's the deal. There is another Lamech in Seth's line that's the father of Noah. You may have heard that. But then that's not the guy we're talking about. We're talking about the guy in Cain's bloodline. His name is Lamech, and he is not a nice man. We don't like Lamech, all right? Here's what Lamech says, all right? It says uh, in Genesis 4, 23 and 24. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. So he's a polygamist and he talks like a caveman. So we're not off to a great start. <laughs> I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Interesting. 
I think it's completely fair to say Jesus probably remembers this story, right? And Peter is probably very familiar with this story. And it's almost like Jesus might be going, hey, Peter, you remember that guy from the Old Testament, Lamech? That wrathful, spiteful jerk. That guy that said, if God's going to reap seven times the vengeance on a person that, that hurts Cain, you should see what I can do. He's the most prideful, arrogant, wrathful individual that he thinks he will unfold 77 times what you dish out at him. If you just look at this guy wrong, he's going to take your life, right? This is a vulgar, evil, wicked man. And as bad as he is, as evil as he is, as wrathful as he is, Peter, you should be that forgiving. You should be that willing to forgive somebody. Radically willing to forgive someone. I think that may be 77. That may be our answer there. It's word for word the same account if we go that route. But let's go the other way. Let's think 70 times 7. What do we do with that? Well, that's a big number. That's 490. That's a lot. One of the most common answers you'll hear to this is 490 is just such a big number that you're never going to count that, right? Like imagine your family member or somebody you know, a friend of yours does something terrible to you 490 times. Are you going to keep track of that? Are you, do you have a little tally going somewhere in a little notepad where you're like, well, we're 487. He's really coming up on it. I'm writing this guy off three more times. You know, like, no, the point is, Peter says seven, Jesus says 490, and at that point, it might as well be infinity, right? It might as well be forever. You might as well regard this as just always forgive them. That's a lot of people's take on it, and I think it's totally sound. I think it's totally reasonable. It's a fair response, but I think there's a third one. So, I told you Jews like the number seven. This is a thing, I promise. So God creates the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, what's he do? He rests. We all know that because we all rest on Sundays, right? Yeah? Nobody's working on Sundays. No, we're, we're pretty bad at it in our modern culture, but Jews were very serious about this. It was a very big deal. You rest on the seventh day because that's the Sabbath. To the Jews, it was Saturday. We as Christians, just because we got to be different, it's Sunday. But hey, it's okay. The day of rest, that's the point. So Jews loved the day of rest so much that in one year, in one calendar year, they had seven holidays. And those seven holidays all looked forward to the day of rest. And then there's this other thing that happens in Jewish culture where every seven years you have this thing called the, the Sabbath year. And what happens is the ground goes unworked that year. Nobody tills the ground that year. Nobody's reaping a harvest that year. We let things reset. It's a refresh on our agriculture, right? And then there's this other thing. There's this ultimate Sabbath called the Jubilee. And that happens every seventh, seventh year. Every seventh Sabbath year. That's every 49 years they have this thing called the Jubilee. And in Jewish culture, what that meant is that year... It didn't matter what kind of debt you had gathered as a family through the generations. If you had land that you had to sell that maybe was your great-great-grandfather's, but then you got in a rough spot, so you had to sell it so you could make it 
you get that land back. All the slaves go free in the Jubilee. It is a cultural, economic reset. Everything is clean slated. Everything is made right. Nobody owes anybody anything. It's fine now. Debts are settled. We all get a refresh. And I think what Jesus may just be doing here is looking at Peter and saying, hey, you know how every 49 years, every seven times seven years, everything resets? I want you to be more than that in forgiveness to the people around you. I want you to be the ultimate jubilee. I want you to be that tenfold. If it's 49 years for the jubilee, we're talking 490 here. This is off the charts. It's tenfold jubilee in your forgiveness. I think Jesus may be pointing to jubilee language with the number 49 being used as a tenfold reference. I think that is a possibility, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I think it fits. Those are three possibilities that I think are happening with these, with these numbers being used. But point being, they all land on one very common thing, and that is radical forgiveness. You are to forgive at a radical level. But why? And if you thought the sermon was like round into it, we're like just getting started because Jesus hasn't even got into the like meat and potatoes of this thing. He goes on to say this in Matthew 18. Uh, 23 through 35, he says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Let's stop there. They didn't have dollars in, in ancient Israel. This is, like I said, the translation is just doing the best it can so we understand what it's trying to get across, okay? What it actually says is it owed him 10,000 talents, okay? Now, we aren't really familiar with that, that, uh, that system of money, so let me just put that into terms of what that would mean for the man in this story. If the man in this story owed the king 10,000 talents, that means... It would take him 200,000 years of labor in his lifetime to pay that off. It means that he would owe 60 million working days to that king. In our modern equivalent of dollars, and this was a study done in 2015, they stated that it would be the modern equivalent of three and a half billion dollars is what this guy owes the king. Keep that in mind, okay? He couldn't pay, <laughs> shocker, so his master uh, uh, ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. No, you can't. That's impossible. He could never pay it. So he's lying, but he's just begging. He's just sniveling. He's just trying to get by, right? And what does the master do? Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had just forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's deep. And I'm just going to be real honest. Like, if we all take a real long, hard look at our lives, it doesn't look so great for us in this story. Right? See, how, how does this story apply to us? It's almost like Jesus is putting the mirror back on Peter, right? And in turn, G- Jesus is sort of breaking that fourth wall for his modern reader. And he's going, oh yeah, you too? You, you're reading this? Because that's you. We talk about the gospel a lot here because it's a church. And it applies every bit of this story. It applies to the whole thing. It applies to everything we do. Because here's the deal. God makes a perfect earth. And he makes a man and a woman. And he makes them in his image to be his, his children, to be his co-workers in creation with him, right? But they don't want to be just in the image of God. They want to be God. And they try to make themselves God. They try to make life all about them. We call that sin. And that's what broke this creation. That's what broke this world. And at that moment in time, it separated all of mankind from God. God is life. And when you separate from life, you get death. You can say it in a different way. You can say that we owed a debt at that point. We owed something. And that was our lives. Because that is what we chose. We chose death. Right? See, what Jesus wanted, what God wanted from the beginning was perfection out of each one of us. But we didn't do that. We chose to be flawed and broken and sinful. So now the relationship's damaged. And we get death. That's the punishment. But God loved the world so much that he became a man. He became a man named Jesus Christ and he stepped into our time and our space. And he lived that perfect life. You and me couldn't. The life we wouldn't. Right? We, we chose a different way. We never could do it. Not one of us in this room can be perfect. We can try all day and we will fall flat on our face over and over and over again. But he lived it. He lived the perfect life. And we didn't like it. We didn't like that when he came here, he confronted us with our sin. He showed us who we were and what we did wrong and all the evil in us. And we hated that. And so we killed him. We took God and we nailed him to a cross. And while we were nailing him to that cross, he was still pleading on our behalf to the Father to forgive us because we couldn't understand the fact that we were killing God himself. And we put him to death, but death couldn't hold him down. And he raised from the grave three days later. And for all of us, everybody in this room, he offers the free gift that if you believe in him, if you make him your Lord and Savior then your debt is paid because he's life and his because he's god and his life is infinitely more valuable than ours he has paid the debt that all of us owe on all of our behalves through his death if we just accept him as our god it's paid 
That's huge. That is a debt nobody could pay. It was, it's, it's like owing somebody, you know, four and a half billion dollars or whatever, except it's more than that. And he paid it with his life. Just because. And then what do we do? We turn around and we, we get petty and we, we hold grudges and we hate people and we stow away anger in our hearts when people do what to us? Cut us off in traffic? Owe us some money? Think badly about us? Look, I'll take it all the way to, to the, the, the furthest on this pole I can. Um, Think of the worst thing a person can do to anyone on earth and that still fails in comparison to slapping God in the face by turning away from Him. What, what God forgave us is infinitely greater than any sin that could be committed against anybody on earth ever. Fair. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't walk away from the situation and forget what He did for you. Because that, that doesn't go unnoticed. And it's almost like he's saying, anybody who follows me does not live that way. Doesn't hold grudges. Doesn't hate people. Doesn't harbor that hatred in their heart and that unforgiveness. It's kind of like Jesus is showing us that that hate that we hold on to, that that unforgiveness that we hold on to, it, it's actually the punishment within itself in a lot of ways. Right? I don't know that this is so much a, a psalm saying that like if you hate people, you get thrown into hell. So much as if you hate people, you are putting yourself in hell. That there's a quote from a long time ago. I don't even know who said it. I think it's one of those kind of like just cliche quotes, but it's hating someone is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. I know I've said that before up here, but, th but that's what Jesus is showing us. It's like you're in bondage by your hate. You're making yourself a slave through your hatred. You're a slave to the other person. It doesn't hurt the other person when you hate them. It doesn't hurt the other person when you don't forgive them. It's breaking you. You're ruining yourself. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to radical forgiveness. I've called you to be the opposite of the man that reaps 77 times his hatred on someone. He's saying, I'm telling you to, to be that radically forgiving. He's saying, I've called you to set yourself free through the ultimate jubilee of forgiveness. That Jesus has provided through his forgiveness on the cross through his death on the cross he's saying i'm calling you to let yourself go you're not a slave anymore you don't owe a debt anymore you're good the slate's clean so give that to other people you have been radically forgiven by god so radically forgive those who hurt you even when they don't deserve it because you didn't deserve it and i didn't deserve it and he still went all the way to give his own life to save you and me Disciple makers practice radical forgiveness, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not fair, right? If God were fair, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead men walking, but we're not. So we need to treat others in that same way. Would you pray with me?
Father, it is hard to forgive people when they hurt us. It's hard to let go of anger and aggression and the grudges that we hold on to. And I just pray that you would make it ever so real in our eyes and our hearts of what you did for us. We talk about believing in you. Part of believing in you is understanding what you did. We were, we were sentenced to death. We were sentenced to an eternity of separation from you. That was the just sentence. That was the fair sentence. But you set aside fairness, Lord. And you died on our behalf, even though you didn't need to. You shouldn't have. There's no reason for it. And so, Lord, when people wrong us, let us remember your humility and the stance that you took in loving us, even though we gave you no reason to. And let us do the same for the people that hurt us, Father. We pray that you would do this through your Holy Spirit, because we could never do that within ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.